0: let into it. Well, there's something that just about every single one of us has in common. Just about every single one of us at some point in our lives has had a bad experience with either Christianity, the church, or someone who calls themselves a Christian. And really, for most of us, it wasn't just one experience, but we probably had multiple experiences. And so, you know, I think there's just a reality um, as a Christian that we're probably all in some stage of recovery. from this. And, um, you know, for, for, for some of you, maybe the, the wound is really fresh and you're still, you're still healing from that hurt for others of us. Uh, maybe it happened a long time ago and we've sort of gotten over it, um, and processed through it. And now we're in a place where we're actually trying to help other people (laughs) along, um, their hurts. And, and maybe for, for a lot of us, that's one of the things we love about Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't Go to church. This is a place where we can we can process through that together. Um, I know um, when when Pastor John, our lead pastor, when he started uh, Grace Community Church, he was hurting from a number of bad church experiences. And uh, that first year of Grace's existence, the the series of sermons that were preached I don't know if you know this or not but they were basically sermons just getting back to like what does it really look like to, to just be a disciple of Jesus? Because like there was so much just like junk that had got thrown into church and Christianity. It's just like, can we just get back to Jesus? And uh, that's, that's sort of the spirit of this series that we're gonna be embarking on for the next six weeks that is called Just Jesus. Can we just get back to the central person of our faith? So, since it's Mother's Day and uh, no more uh, shout outs needed for, for the ladies, I think we, we hit that pretty good already. Um, but I, I thought it'd be fitting for us to look at an interaction between Jesus and his mother. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a time with your mom where maybe it was, uh, it was a challenging interaction shall we just say like there was some tension going on and you looked back on that whole exchange with your mom and you just thought to yourself man i don't even know if jesus himself would have handled that well you know what i'm saying it was like it was just challenging um if if that's you at any point in your life uh, then this message may very well be for you um we're gonna look at uh, the gospel of John chapter 2 John was one of Jesus' disciples and he wrote one of the four accounts we find in the New Testament of our Bible and uh, as we uh, take a look at this passage today I just want to uh, encourage you if man if if you've had uh, some rough experiences with the church or Christianity I just want to encourage you for a few minutes just try and put that hurt to the side, whatever issues to the side, and try just to focus in on what does this passage tell us about Jesus. So um, we pick it up, John chapter two, verse number one goes like this: On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples also had been invited to the wedding. So this wedding. In Cana, one of the things that's important for you to know about Cana is, I'll show you on the map here, um, Cana is very, very close, just down the road from Nazareth. Now, uh, Nazareth, as you may know, was the hometown of Jesus and Mary. And this region of Galilee was where a number of his disciples were from. So what we, what we know about um, this wedding is that that we don't know who was getting married, but we know that um, Jesus and Mary and some of the disciples were clearly uh, close friends of the family. They knew knew them well. Now, verse three, we're introduced to a bit of tension. It says, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. (laughs) Now, the reason that I know this is a problem is actually from my Italian mother-in-law. God bless her, Um, because according to my mother-in-law, running out of anything at any family event is a massive, massive problem. In fact, it's probably the worst sin imaginable to her that you would run out of something. And so her MO, and I don't know if you have someone like this in your life, but her MO is like twice as much of everything at any event that she's responsible for. Like one time we had a dinner and I kid you not, there were four different entrees that she prepared for this dinner. She's just, she's hilarious. So um, I don't know if you know somebody like that, but um, the thing thing with her is that, um, Lord help you if you're the one hosting an event and she's coming, and you actually make like the right amount of food, you know what I'm saying? Like an appropriate amount where there's just like a little bit of leftovers, Because that that means according to her that like there was some serious family holdback going on. You know what I'm saying? Like people did not eat themselves sick and that's on you. And so um, all this to be said, like I'm at the point now where um, her 20 years of being my mother-in-law has just rubbed off on me to the point where now her anxiety is totally my anxiety. And yeah, Becky and I, we do twice as much food as is needed because we are not gonna run out of anything at anything we host, and uh, so as much of a problem as it is in in my house these days to run out of food, um, this was a massive, massive problem uh, back in jesus 's day and you have to remember a little context for you in this part of the world, two thousand years ago we 're talking about a shame and honor culture, and so man any sort of shame on the family or dishonor that that was the worst possible scenario and you have to remember that the wedding was arguably the most important event in a person's entire life it's huge and for the groom, this was the groom's opportunity to prove to his wife's family that he could provide. He could take care of his new bride. And so by running out of wine at the wedding, oh man, this, this is a problem. So Mary says to Jesus, Jesus, they don't have any more wine. And uh, check out Jesus' response here on Mother's Day. This is good uh, stuff. This is good stuff. Jesus turns to his mother and says these words. (laughs) Woman, why do you involve me? My time, my hour has not yet come. Now, I know what you're thinking. What in the world is going on here? Um, So if you're looking for how you can be more Christ-like in your conversations (laughs) with your mom... Um, I mean, I feel like we've got the playbook right here. You know what I'm saying? am just quoting Jesus. Uh, no, what's, what's happening? All right. So first of all, let's let's look at this word woman. Let's go back to the Greek in which it was written. The Greek word there is the word gune. And uh, this word gune does not conjure up woman. It doesn't conjure up any of that, okay? The Greek word gune is actually a very respectful term of endearment that for those who grew up in the South is much more like calling your mom, ma'am. So how much has been lost in translation, right? And this is this is why it's so helpful to understand the context in the Bible. Now, what about uh, the, the other part? Because I feel like I'm apologizing for Jesus and there's still more work to be done here because <laughs> let's look at the He says, well, why do you involve me? right? Like, what is he? Is he just dismissing her? Like, what's he doing? Because, you know, Mary is laser focused on the shame that has been heaped on the the groom and, you know, the the host of the party. But Jesus, and we see it in the the next words here, Jesus is focused on something way bigger than what Mary's focused on. He says, my hour has not yet come. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, uh, if a careful study through the, the entire gospel of John, you will see this repeated several times. My hour has not yet come. And every time that is actually a reference to the hour of Jesus' death. Now, This is wild if you think about it, because Jesus hasn't even begun his formal ministry at this point. And while Mary is focused on what's right in front of her, the problem right in front of her, Jesus is already focused on his ultimate mission, why he came. He came to lay down his life for the sins of the world. The hour of his death is actually what he's looking to right now. He has such a bigger mission and agenda than what Mary is thinking of. And basically what he's saying to Mary is, hey, Mary, Mary, Mary. Or mom, you know, not yet. Not yet. Not time yet. You got to love moms. Look at her response. So his mom said to the servants, just do whatever he tells you. Now, this, this is classic. In fact, if your mom is sitting beside you right now, man, just give her a hug right now, man. Because like, um, how many times have we had a, a situation where our mom pushed us to do something we didn't want to do? Right? I, I remember I was 16 years old. Uh, my family had, had moved. So I'm in a new school. I'm at a new church youth group. Everything is new for me. And, uh, there was this mission trip that was coming up. I got a picture of the, the group that went down. There's this mission trip from, from my, uh, church youth group going from Cincinnati all the way to Juarez, Mexico. And my mom's like, I want you to go on that mission trip. I'm like, there is no way. There is no way. Cause you guys, I was way cool back then. All right? I was like, I mean, I had a rep to maintain. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't going with a bunch of Randys that I didn't even know who they were. Like, that's not happening, okay? So, um, anyway, as you can imagine, of course I went. My mom made me go, I went. And it was one of the defining moments of my life. It was amazing. On this Mother's Day, if you are fortunate enough that your mom is still around and you have a relationship with your mom, I, I hope that you take a, a few minutes today to, to specifically tell your mom, to thank her for being your mom and for what she's done for you. And if she's not, um, maybe just taking a, a minute between you and God just, just to, to thank God uh, for your mom. Um, the other thing that's wild about moms is just like, it's how crazy it just, it's just, they're, they're so right all the time. Does that annoy anybody else besides me? Like, it's really frustrating. And then this crazy thing happened to me. I got married and then it like that transferred to my wife. Any other guys? Like that's, I don't know what's happening here, but anyway. Um, so, so Mary turns to Jesus. I'm sorry. She turns to the servants and she says, Just do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Now, there's a lot of speculation on what's happening at this point in this account. Some people say, well, maybe, you know, Mary already knew. She knew what Jesus was going to do. He was going to do this miracle. But if you think about it, Jesus had never done a miracle before. But never. So it doesn't logically follow that she would think that he was going to do this miracle. But what does logically follow in my mind is let's think about this for a minute. Jesus was the perfect son of God, okay? He was perfect in every way. So if you're Mary, and this is your oldest son, anytime you have a problem, a situation, there's some wisdom needed, whatever it is, who would you turn to to try and resolve it? It's not a trick question. Jesus, right? I mean, and he would have the perfect answer or solution or resolution every single time. So it makes sense that that Mary is like, hey, I don't know how we're gonna figure this out, but guess what? Jesus, he's always got like the wisest statement. He's always got this thing figured out. So just, you know what? Do whatever he tells you to do. Well, let's see what happens next. Verse six. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing each one holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Now, I wanna show you a picture of uh, one of these ceremonial washing jars. This is actually a picture that, that I took in Cana, in Galilee, uh, back in November, there were a, a group of us from Grace who went on a trip to the Holy Land. It was amazing. We're going to do it again in a few years. If you're interested in the next trip, you can email me. But, um, but look at the size of this in comparison to the people behind it. Okay, these, these are massive stone jars. Now, now what, um, what the people would do back then was they would have these extensive washing rituals. Now, they were both for health reasons but they were also for religious reasons. So you would wash yourself to to clean yourself up before God. And so Jesus um, says to the servants, he says, fill these jars, six of them, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. He says, the servants did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. You know, I always wondered, where did this principle come from? I guess it's (laughs) biblical. Okay. But you have saved the best till now. Now, I don't know how that just hit you. You probably heard this story, read it before. But, you know, I got a little beef with the gospel writer, John. Okay? I got a little, I got a little bone to pick. All right, let's go back to verse 9. So he says that they, they drew the water out, and the master of the banquet tasted that water that had been turned into wine. Wait, wait, what? Like, you can almost miss what just happened. There was a miracle that happened, and he's, like, just nonchalanting it. Like, it's a, uh, he just drew some water out, and he took a drink. Jesus just turned 120 gallons of water into wine, okay? And he just completely like downplayed that whole situation. I'm like, what kind of an ambassador for Jesus are you, man? Like, I mean, we had, there was so much wine Jesus created in that miracle that, and you, you may not know this, but, but I was at the souvenir shop in Cana. They still have some wine left over. <laughs> This is, I took this picture. Okay. I'm joking in case anyone thinks I'm literal. It's okay. I mean, this, this was nothing short of miraculous, right? I mean, I've seen some pretty cool party tricks in my time. This is like the best party trick ever. All right. And, and John's just like, yeah, you know, I just tasted the water that had been turned into wine. No big deal. And, and, you know, for those who don't know me, I am actually a very skeptical person by nature. It took me a long time to get to a place where I actually believed in the claims of Jesus and that Christianity was was true. Um, and, and one of the things I actually love about these gospels is I have so many beefs with the writers and what's happening in these accounts. I'm like, if your whole purpose was to try and get everyone to believe it, you could have done such a better job of selling it. Okay, now think about that for a minute. And then think about this. There are so many places where these writers are writing stories that make them look stupid. Okay, if if you're just making this up, why would you do that? And then you look like a fool. So the only conclusion that I started to make was that maybe this is actually true. Like that they're just writing what actually happened and we could have something that we, we could literally believe in and stake our lives in um i share with you the next verse john writes what jesus did here in canaan of galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him here's just another example wait 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 so his disciples who've been like following him and you know giving their lives and everything else they they just now believed in him just now like they didn't believe in him before like What's going on? You know what I'm saying? It just, it causes you to think, maybe he's just writing down what actually happened, and then we have to sort of try and make sense of all that. The point is, you can trust. I came to a place where I could trust that these are literal accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. All right, now, I want to look at verse 11 one more time, because the important part of this for, for you and me says... John writes, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. Now, through the gospel of John, there's seven signs. This is the first one where Jesus was basically proving, he was demonstrating, giving these signs to show that he is God in human form. And he has the authority to do whatever he wants. And so here's the point of this miracle in case you're wondering like, Derek, so what, what's, what's the point here? The point Jesus was making when he took these ceremonial jars of water and he turned them into wine. is he was saying, look, guys, look, guys, there is no more need to wash. You don't have to clean yourself up before God. He was saying, I'm going to wash your sins away. I'm going to lay down my life. So you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is celebrate. Just raise your glass. That's all you have to do, celebrate what Jesus has done for you. I want to show you a scale here because all of us are at some place on this scale. On the one end, we're down here, we're 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 washing. Okay, this represents what, what we're trying to do to measure up in the eyes of God. And on this other end, we're celebrating what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. I don't know where you would place yourself on this scale, um, but for me, and I'm just gonna, this is just a little confession. Um, I, I know enough and I'm immersed in this stuff enough to know that I should be up here in the celebrating end. But if I'm gonna be honest, many times in my life, I find myself here. I find in my um in my good seasons i'm doing all these religious things you know i'm reading my bible i'm praying i'm i'm being the man that god wants me to be but but when i'm in a mode where i'm i'm trying to do that because i i i just i want god to hear my prayers you know i i just i'm 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 in a place where i'm I'm trying to earn god's love and um you know, the, the trouble with that is that oftentimes that leads me to a place of spiritual arrogance too, where it's hard for me to uh, to be able to love and serve others well. And then in those seasons where uh, I'm not doing all those religious things that I hope to be doing, I'm, I'm not the man I think God wants me to be. Um, in those seasons, um, I find that uh, I'm just like very discouraged, you know? I don't know if you've ever been there, but just feeling like God's not gonna hear my prayers. Um, and so maybe you find yourself uh, there right now maybe you're in a season where you're like yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to wash myself clean before God and you know that the abundant life joy and peace and, and coming each day from a place of just full of, of God's love for you is, is ultimately where you want to be um, I want to. I want to just give us a, a couple of moments right now to just see if we can, if we can get there, if we can remind ourselves, if we can soak in the truth of God's love for us. So, what I want to encourage you to do right now, we're just going to just take a moment, you and God. I'm going to encourage you to take several slow, deep breaths in and out. Just go ahead and take a deep breath in. Take a deep breath out. Let's do that a couple of times. Just center yourself right now. Remember, God is with you. And I want to share a truth from God's word. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Continue to just breathe in and breathe out that truth. In fact, what we're going to do, I don't know if you've ever done this, but this is really powerful. Something that I've been doing in the last few months of my life is just breathing in and breathing out the truth of God's word so that it would just really just go down deep. So as you take a breath in, I want you just to say in your mind, nothing can separate me. And as you breathe out, just say in your mind, from your love. Okay, so let's try that. Right now, we're gonna do that just several times. Just you and God. Just breathe in, say nothing can separate me. And breathe out. From your love, do that right now. God, I just want to lift up every single person right now. It is so easy for us to lose sight of your great love for us. God, we, we forget and we find ourselves washing to try and get clean before you when you've already done it. All we have to do is just say thank you. So Lord, just help us to just soak in that truth that our identity is found in your unconditional, unshakable love for us. Let us live lives out of that place, out of your love. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I uh, want to encourage you, you know, we want you to be so connected with God's love that it's as natural as breathing. So before you leave this space, I want to encourage you to write that down or take a picture of it or put it in your notes tab, do it throughout the day, do it throughout the week. Cause we believe as we focus on that truth, nothing can separate me from your love. It transforms our understanding of God and our faith. Um, if you need prayer for anything, we have a prayer team that would love to connect with you over here to your right. And if, This is your first time. I'm Brian. I want to welcome you, introduce myself to you, share a little bit more about our church. Uh, Just a couple minutes over here to your left, I'll be standing there. Love to meet you. Uh, Otherwise, thank you so much for joining us. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday. And, ladies, have a happy Mother's Day. Thank you.